morning. Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and I cannot wait to see what God has in store for us today. Uh, let me just give you a quick heads up, though, just so you know where our church is at. Our leadership team has been meeting weekly as we uh, continually assess where we're at as a, a in church and as a group in the mall and, and also people's safety, and we're trying to figure out what would be the best opportunity to open the church. There was a survey that went on on Friday. There'll be a link in the bottom of this video and our Facebook page and our YouTube page uh, for you to check out. But if you call Church in the Mall your home, you would do us a great service by clicking on that link and investing two minutes of your time in helping us to make better decisions for the safety of our uh, environment here at Church in the Mall. So please do that. Okay, let's open with some prayer and let's see where God is gonna take us in chapter two of Acts today. Lord, as we submit to your word, and your spirit in our lives. May you come now. Open our hearts and our minds to seeing what it is you might have in store for us in your word and in this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So chapter 2 of Acts opens with one of the most incredible scenes in the entire Bible. The, the disciples or the apostles have all gathered in the upper room. It's been about 120 gathered there. Jesus has come back from the dead and he has revealed himself for 40 days and he has now ascended back up to heaven. But he's given them this cautionary word. He says, wait for the coming of God's promised Holy Spirit. And he talks about that with power coming upon them. And so the scene that begins to unfold is, is so beautiful because not only is it incredible to look at a New Testament, but we're going to look back into the Old Testament this morning. So. Let me just begin. All of a sudden, they're in this upper room, and this violent wind starts blowing through the space. And tongues of fire begin to form on top of their heads. Now, what's happening here is this idea of the Old Testament. When God first shows himself to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, and he reveals the Torah, the whole mountain is covered in the holy fire of God. Later, as they build a tabernacle, a dwelling place for God with their people, God will show up as a pillar of fire by day or night and a pillar of smoke by day. And then as they build the temple, years later, God's spirit will come and live in that temple and the fire of God will again show people that his presence is alive and well. What's happening here with these disciples is the presence of God is now making its dwelling within humankind. And so this Old Testament theme is now becoming a realization in the New Testament. Now, something else is going to happen here that will tie us back into the Old Testament. But first, let's kind of see where this takes us. All of a sudden, these tongues of fire begin to reveal themselves. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues and languages as this new Holy Spirit gave them the power to do so. Now, What's happening outside of the doors of this upper room is people have gathered back into Jerusalem for another special holiday. It's Shabbat, or the Festival of Weeks. It comes sometime in the beginning of summer. It's this idea of people coming to celebrate not only the first fruits of the crops, but the giving of God's Torah, or His Word. And so isn't it fascinating that the day they're celebrating the Word of God coming to the people of God, the Word of God shows up to make His dwelling in the people of God. As the story continues, they're speaking all these languages. And as you read through the bottom of chapter 2 of Acts, you're going to see there's a laundry list of names of, of men from all over the world. And what we come to find is that this ties back into two Old Testament ideas. One 
is in the book of Daniel when Israel, all the Israelites are taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They're then spread throughout the world. And this, this nation of Israel is split into multiple segments all over. Well, God is starting to reunite and bring those segments back to fulfill his original promise to Abraham that he would be their God and that Abraham's descendants would be his people. Through those people unified together, God would show his mighty works and power and begin restoring the world unto him by providing a savior, a Messiah, and then allowing his spirit to live within his people. And so he's doing it again here, showing us the fulfillment of that promise. Now, if we go back even farther into the Old Testament, we were to go back into Exodus. Right after the flood and Noah's ark, we would find that Noah's children will become uh, the table of nations, a group of people that have no longer succumbed to God anymore. They, they want nothing to do with God. In fact, they build a tower that we come to know as Babel, a tower so tall so they can look God in the eyes to say, we are just as good as you. And God's spirit comes down and confuses them by putting languages in their hearts. And so they no longer can commune together. So they split and they go throughout the world. Again, God's Holy Spirit now allows these disciples, these apostles, to go forth and speak in languages that all can hear. So that now he's reuniting not just all of Israel, but the whole known world into this one concept of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. And so this beautiful scene is a fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. Now, the, the rushing wind and the fire seems to draw more than just the people in the upper room. It draws a crowd outside the upper room and pretty soon the streets are littered with people whose hearts are on fire for God. And as the disciples make their way out, uh, some of the crowd people yell, hey, this is just nonsense. Maybe these people are drunk. But Peter stands up in front of everyone and he begins to deliver a speech. And you could find this speech in Acts chapter two. You can also find it in the book of Joel. In the book of Joel, the prophet Joel has been reading all the other prophets, Isaiah, Amos, uh, Nahum, Zephaniah, Obadiah, Ezekiel, and Malachi, and he has fixated on this idea of the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a really beautiful concept in that God, every time he showed up to either save his people or to defeat evil or confront evil, they would call it the day of the Lord, and it was a day of reckoning, a day of fearful reverence for the power and the presence of God showing up. But what Joel does is he looks at this not only in the Old Testament, but as a promise to the new when God's day of reckoning would come, or the day of judgment as we often look at. But this day of judgment is a day in which God would not only do away with evil, but then he would reunite all his people under his kingdom rule through his Messiah. He would then restore the land and bring everyone back into full and right communion with him. And so this day of the Lord has not only an Old Testament meaning, but a promise for us in the New Testament. It's the hope that Christ has brought us, that you and I now have access to God, that his spirit dwells within us so that this promise of Joel now becomes a promise for us. Now, as Peter is explaining this to the people, he is showing them exactly how this day of the Lord has begun to unfold before them, that this is an opportunity to know God personally through his son, Jesus. And it says that these men begin to get cut to the heart. 
he continues in the Psalms and he explains this interesting passage about David being king and how his lineage, even though it was broken, has now been remade through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're not just talking about the Lord of, of the Israelites, but we're talking about a kingdom reign of the entire world under this one person of Jesus Christ. And that that reign would come and be not only our salvation, but our hope in bringing restoration and wholeness to all things. And so as he explains this, it says again, they're cut to the heart and they begin asking, what can we do? How can we respond to such a message? As if the Holy Spirit had already been working in their hearts and minds, they come willing. And Peter says, brothers, this is what to do. In verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you. That means turn from the ways that you've known into the ways of God and, and come back home. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. I love this part because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come and go to fulfill the purposes of God. But in the New Testament, in this scene, we see the Holy Spirit has now come and taken up his dwelling within the disciples and apostles. And it doesn't stop there. It now continues for anyone and everyone outside of that. You and I, anyone who calls on Jesus Christ, now has the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. Our hearts become repent, meaning that we turn back to God. Our minds become more like God. And we end up fulfilling this idea of the reign of God in our minds and our hearts. And you and I begin living in the kingdom of God. Well, as these people begin to wrestle with this reality that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the one that God had promised from the very beginning, it says that over 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. That very idea is, is coexistent with another idea of when Peter first denied Christ three times. Uh, here we have a thousand people for each time Peter was denied Christ. But now that he's following Christ, he multiplies this into an opportunity where the Holy Spirit brings 3,000 people from all over the world into this opportunity to accept Christ. And as they leave Jerusalem, they're going to be taking that Holy Spirit with them to those lands. And the gospel message will continually move, not just in Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, just like Luke said uh, it would. And so here we have this beautiful scene that then folds into the last part of chapter 2, which is the fellowship of believers. All of a sudden, the people devote themselves to this new scene of Christ in their lives and their hearts. And they begin taking all that they own, all that God has given them, and they begin divvying it up and making sure that there is nobody in want or need. And by doing that, they're fulfilling what the temple of God was supposed to do. As people came to worship God, they were to be fulfilled and, and their needs were to be met and they were to be taken care of by the people of God. Well, now the temple of God is no longer a building. It's the embodiment of you and I and all people who make up the body of believers of Jesus Christ. That's right. The Holy Spirit now dwells in us as temples of the living God. That's radical to think about. That means everything I think, everything I say, everything I do... I have to take into account that if I'm the temple of God where the presence of God dwells so that when people interact with me, they're interacting with the presence of God, I wonder, do I always do what God would do? The answer is probably not. 
but it's something to think about. It has a radical impact on my actions and my thoughts. It has a radical impact on how I live my life. And so my hope today is, as we have taken a quick journey through chapter two, is that you'll walk away with this pondering this week. What does it mean to be the temple of the living God? What does it mean to have the presence of God alive and active in us? And as we're going to see in the next few chapters of Acts, that presence of God reveals itself in the actions and the nature of the disciples to do miracles in the presence of others so that others might know who God is and see him as their Lord. My friends, we have an opportunity to share hope with others, to be a part of the kingdom here on earth. The question is, will you? If you haven't, go ahead and grab your elements as we get ready to celebrate communion this morning. I've chosen a piece of bread and I've got my coffee with me. Hopefully you've gathered a couple things that will work for you. And as we do this, we're going to give thanks to God and be reminded that the promises that Christ has given us in the New Testament and Acts are really just a representation of everything that God promised from the beginning, uh, or more so even a fulfillment of that God's promises remain true and steadfast. So as we take the bread, we're reminded of the body of Christ that's been broken for us, the ultimate sacrifice for you and for I. Take your bread, eat it, and give thanks to God. As we take our drink, we too are reminded of Christ's blood being spilled for us that ultimate atoning sacrifice that unites the body of believers together, just like it unites all the Jews together under that promise through Abraham, that you and I have been grafted into that promise. We are now a part of that tree, the tree of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the living God, alive within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take and drink in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Now, if you're like me, it might be hard sometimes to read your Bible, but I have to tell you that over these last three or four months, I have really made a point each day to be in the Word of God, and I've been reading through Acts uh, over and over and over this summer as I am in preparation for these sermons and messages, and I have to tell you that this past week, I missed one day, and what was so interesting is that whole day, I felt like I was in need of something. I just felt like something wasn't quite right, like as if something was missing from my life. And I believe it was that time with God. You know, God has now made himself available to you and to I at any time. My encouragement to you is to spend time with God each day, to be in prayer with him throughout the day. That's just conversation and talking, uh, to be in his word, to understand his character and nature and how he interacts with humanity so that we know who this God is. My other encouragement is that you might get a journal and that you might be able to write in it thoughts, questions, ideas, and really begin to process this, to spend time during the week looking at some of those key scriptures that stood out to you and allow it to penetrate your mind and heart. God wants to fulfill this promise to take our heart of stone and turn it back into a heart of flesh. So would you join me in doing that this week? Let's spend some time with God in the word as we prepare for next week, uh, Acts chapter three. And also, uh, don't forget to do that survey for us. That would be a huge help as we are trying very hard to hear what would be the right message for our community right now. 
as we begin to look at ways and how we can reopen the church. My friends, be blessed, and we look forward to seeing you in the other videos this week. Take care.